It's been three weeks since Inter-Miami were sent packing from the MLS's back tourney in Orlando. Are you still licking your wounds, Inter-Miami fans, or are you looking forward to August 22nd? That is the date when your Rosa Negra will play game number six and look to avoid a sixth straight defeat, a 100% negative record. And they'll probably be taking the field with a new DP, Blaise Matuidi's arrival Imminent, if you were to believe, Fabrizio Romano. This is Miami Total Football Radio. I'm Eric Krakauer, joined by Inter-Miami insider Franco Panizo, who's just moved into a new home mid-pandemic. Franco, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm now next to the the Hard Rock in Davie slash Hollywood with one of my good buddies. So the move's been good, but there's bigger news with Blaise Matuidi. Maybe he'll be looking for a roommate. He might want to move in as well. We have a, we have an extra room here. So um, <laughs> Blaze, if you're listening, we got you, brother. But look, I mean, there's, there's, there's some interesting stuff to talk about because the moves obviously come with some good good and bad feedback you know in, in these opening in these opening few hours of the news you're you're still talking about blaze my tweet and not your move uh, uh next door to the hard rock uh hotel or casino right that's yeah. what you're talking about okay <laughs> yeah. okay talking, although I would, I would argue that that's pretty big news for you considering that you like to frequent uh that locale uh pre-pandemic I, i'm not sure uh, during the pandemic, but post-pandemic, I'm pretty sure that you are going to be dipping your toes in one of those uh, pools. And hopefully uh, one of these days I'll be there uh, with you. But congrats on moving to your new home. But we don't have much time on today's pod because we promised that we'd keep it uh, short or as long as we usually intend to leave our pod and we always go over. So let's get to it. Okay, earlier this morning, or early this morning, better yet, Twitter was abuzz with news that World Cup winner Blaise Matuidi is about to ink a deal with Inter-Miami. Transfer news guru Fabrizio Romano said the deal is almost done. He's rarely wrong. And perhaps Matuidi is the long-sought-after third DP. Franco, you had long argued that Inter-Miami needed an eight. They got one. What say? What says you? What say? What says you? <laughs> what say you? I think that's. What I think you? I think that's the appropriate one. Yeah, that's it. That's right. That's that's just why I never use aphorisms or anything of the sort. So listen, I think this just shows that I knew what I was talking about during the MLS's back tournament. While you were, I love while, that that's how you're while starting. You, while you were arguing that they needed a number nine more than a number eight. No, all, all kidding aside. I think this addresses a need that they've had for a while that they've, you know, they talked before the pandemic shutdown back in late February about signing Agustin Almendra on loan, Boca Junior central midfielder, because that was a spot that they wanted to fill. The central midfield spot was an area that they wanted to, to bolster with another player that, that was going to be a starter. And, they obviously went a little bit older than many of us expected with uh, with this with this uh, reported news, but I think it's it's a good move overall. I think it helps Inter Miami address a need. Obviously, there's still another need to address, which is a striker or uh, another attacking spot, and how they go about that is going to be interesting because you have to imagine that Blaise Matuidi will be assigned as a designated player. But I think overall, this is a positive move, a good move. I know you have, uh, not, I won't say a hot take, but I think you have a, an interesting take that's not 
necessarily overly positive or overly negative. I think you're kind of somewhere somewhere in the middle. Yeah, look, I'm I'm neither positive nor negative. I'm just being purely objective here. And first of all, kudos to you because you said that the team needed a number eight. Um, I felt and I still feel that a, a number nine, a proven scorer, was the more important signing. And I can go into detail about that, uh, but I'll keep it short. And I will say that, you know, Inter-Miami, although they did not play well, they did create a couple of opportunities uh, in each game. And I thought that they needed to be taken, uh, the situations that that players uh, were in. The ones that really come to mind were Julian Carranza's two against Philadelphia, um, one which was was saved. The other one, I, I forget exactly w- what happened. So for me, that remains uh, a a huge hole that needs plugged up. But let's let's address uh, the Blaise Matuidi, and I'll I'll start with this. I'm a big fan of Blaise Matuidi's. Um, I know his game well. I know him from PSG. I know him from Juve. He hasn't had much continuity uh, at Juve under Mauricio Sarri, but that was going to be uh, that was obvious for anybody who had seen Matuidi play and who. Uh, knew the kind of football that Sadi was going to try to implement at at, at Juve, and even with the other players who who kind of fit his system a little bit more, it didn't really um, show up in the way that he expected them to. And we've seen what the result of that is because they've just been kicked out of the Champions League. Matuidi is also a World Cup winner, and not only a World Cup winner, but he was an integral player in Didier Deschamps' first eleven. Uh, a guy who was sort of shoehorned into a formation that isn't his best, playing as a left midfielder, um, but who tucked in centrally to allow Lucas Hernandez to uh, maraud down his his corridor. Now, having said that, all the conversations that you and I had, Franco, um, were that the number eight that Inter-Miami was looking for and the, the idea that I was getting is a center mid who is a ball player a guy who is going to stitch the game together and Blaise Matuidi is not that guy and, and and I'll continue in a little bit but I'll let you respond to that just that point there that this guy is not the 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 ball player the the the, link. the guy the guy the deep lying playmaker or or the link between the midfield between the the defense and attack that was sorely missed and that you and I uh, dissected ad nauseum on, on this podcast. I don't think he's the guy who links it who links it in that particular way. And I'll add this: he is also not the guy I think that is that is that bona fide star that is going to attract a lot of people to the stadium. But having said that, and I'll talk about his qualities in a second after I let you respond. I have no doubt that once he comes to Inter Miami, if this does actually materialize, that he will become a fan favorite for all the reasons that I will articulate in a little bit. So I'm going to start with agreeing with you that he's not the number eight that, or the type of number eight that maybe Inter, would maybe best be suited for what Inter Miami needs or maybe was looking for. Obviously, Agustin Almendra's quite a different player than Blaise Matuidi in terms of just their skill sets. However, I think with Matuidi's arrival, you're going to see 
or imminent arrival if it if it like you said if it materializes i think you're going to see a situation where he plays as a 6 and will trap is played more as an 8 where you don't have to have will trap sitting so so deep um and you can free him up a little bit from some defensive responsibilities and let him play that game that he's more known for which again is linking the def- the defense to the attack and moving the ball side to side and moving it forward He's not going to overwhelm you with any one thing, but he can be that ball carrier um, that Inter-Miami has been lacking. He hasn't shown that during these first five games that they've had. He's struggled by and large. You know, and I, I think we said it on the last episode. Victor Ulloa has outplayed him, probably, at least in our opinions, but Will Trapp is the more talented player. That's why he's on the national team. He's been on the national team scene for for a while while Victor Yoa I don't think he's ever even had a call up. So I think the the idea is that Matuidi will sit in behind Will Trap and I think that will free up Will Trap to play more to his strengths. Now if So he, are you saying sorry to interrupt. So in in that in what you were envisioning, are you suggesting that Uyoa is benched I th- or is he a part of the midfield with those two guys? I think Uyoa will will get uh, will get benched. I think he will be the the reserve option, the number one reserve option at center midfield. I mean, it's it's pretty clear to me that that's that that's been the case. Will Trapp's obviously the higher rated player in MLS circles in the national team, um, and they've been looking for a center midfielder openly, publicly. They've said it. You know, Diego Alonso has been very uh, respectful, or he's been very reserved in terms of talking about what type of player they want to sign and that's been the case all year because or much of the year because he you know he always says he wants to show respect to the players he has but the the personal internal conversations that they had have come out when Paul McDonough has spoken to the press when Jorge Mas has spoken to the press they've been looking for a number eight so they were looking to upgrade the position from early on and it wasn't going to be to replace Will Trapp who they traded for who's a national team player who's considered you know I, I don't think you sign will trap or require will trap to have him on the bench i think victor yo will even though he's played better for my money so far i think the idea will be if they can finalize this move for matuidi uh, uh i think that the idea will be blaze matuidi will trap victor yo goes to goes to the bench you see, it's interesting that in you saying that, it, it actually brings at, brings up uh, one of the one of the caveats uh, of this move, if 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 it happens, and that is what I was trying to articulate today on Twitter. Um, I was responding to Kartik Krishnayer, and I re- re- responded to Taylor Twelman, who retweeted your tweet. Um, Taylor Twelman basically said to paraphrase it that, you know having seen Inter-Miami like we all have in the first few games, any addition to that midfield is a positive addition. And you bring in a a World Cup winner, you bring a guy with a lot of pedigree to that team. And yes, of course, you know, at face value, absolutely, you can't disagree with that. But that is too, too generalized a statement to really look at what's happening over here. And I think that if you really want to understand... Blaise Matuidi's role, or you really want to scrutinize his role in this team, you have to look at the systems that Diego Alonso has played so far. So, 
you and I have talked about this. He's played a 3-4-3 or a hybrid of sorts, sometimes a 3-4-2-1. A, a um, and more often, I think it's been a, a, a three, four, two, one than anything else and a, a four, two, three, one. And when you say that you can envision trap and Matuidi playing in a system together where Uyoa gets benched, I'm assuming you're suggesting that it's a four, two, three, one. Am I correct in, in, in making that assumption? Yeah, that's, that's the formation I think they're going to go with just based on the personnel based on, I mean, I know they've gone with the, the three man back line with wing backs, but I think that's just making do or making best out of the situation that they've had. I think the four two three one. I think that's the ideal formation that they want to go with. I don't have any inside information as to that. I haven't heard that that's Diego Alonso's preference, but I think based off of what we've seen, that that's what he would like to go with. So I, I so although I, I there's, look, there's no doubt, Matuidi coming into this midfield is is a huge improvement. Having seen Matuidi play for years. Um, his strengths are the following. His, his positioning defensively is, is excellent. He's an intelligent player in covering space, uh, spaces. He can cover a tremendous amount of ground. He is a motor uh, in midfield. And the fact that he's 33 should not scare Inter-Miami uh, fans because this is a guy who's going to arrive in better shape uh, than most players in Major League Soccer uh, because he's that kind of player. He probably has the body of a 25-year-old. A he is excellent um, at driving um, into the box, usually in the left half space, the left channel, center uh, channel. Uh, he can score goals uh, from that position. Um, he is a very physical presence. Like I said before, he's not the, the best ball player in the world, but at least in comparison to the talent that he had around them at PSG and at Juve. But it's a completely different story at Inter-Miami and Major League Soccer because the level is nowhere near close to one of the top five leagues, to any one of the, the top five leagues uh, in Europe. Um, so it's it's interesting because when I look at news of his you know imminent arrival, I'm thinking that... Diego Alonso knows the player he's getting. So does David Beckham. In fact, David Beckham played with him right. at, at PSG. And the system that best suits Matuidi is a 4-3-3, where he plays on the left side of an inverted triangle. Uh, Uyo would play on the right, the way I would see it, and then will trap at the back. And in doing that, you basically free up, like you suggested, trap from a lot of his defensive duties and you allow him to be that deep-line playmaker, the, the guy who's playing behind those two, although his defensive responsibilities are not marking, but they are uh, position, they are zonal, right? Cutting out the, 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 the passing lanes. And I think that's where Will Trapp can do a good job for you defensively, and I think we saw that in Columbus. But if that actually happens, and Diego Alonso moves to a 4-3-3. My big question is, where does Pizarro play, right? Because the reason I think that he hasn't played the 4-3-3 so far is, number one, because you have to figure out where Pizarro is going to play. And I don't think that in a 4-3-3 with the players that Inter-Miami has at, at, at their disposal in the midfield, I don't think you have balance. I don't think a, a three-man midfield of Pizarro, Uyo, and Trap is is balanced, right? Uyo is doing most of the work, and he can't he can't do it alone. Pizarro and Trap are not going to give you the defensive uh, uh, solidity 
that you need, but all of a sudden you bring in Matuidi and you can play Matuidi Onoyo next to Trap or just ahead of Trap in that 4-3-3. Sort of like, um, you know, I'm not comparing this in terms of talent, but sort of like what we saw with Juve um, back when Pirlo was playing for Juve. You had Arturo Vidal on one side and you had Marquisio or Paul Pogba on the other. They did a lot of the work, especially Marquisio and Arturo Vidal, and that allowed Pirlo to be Pirlo. Uh, and I think you could see the same thing here. But again, the question becomes, where do you place Pizarro? So I think that formation is certainly a possibility. And if that is the style that he wants to play, then Matuidi's inclusion is a really good one. I think it it it, it, it improves our midfield tremendously. If he's only going to play Matuidi as a six with Will Trapp uh, next to him with a little bit more freedom, I think you're going to run into the same problems that we've seen Inter-Miami go through so far. I know that was a little bit long. Apologies. I, I think, you know, I, I think your rationale and your explanation for the 4-3-3 makes sense if it's, you know, to put Matuidi in the position he's best suited to fill. But I think, they're, you know, considering that he's go, he's making, not the jump, but he's taking, I guess, a... Uh, competitive step backwards at least one two maybe three i think that they they think he can do the job in a four two three one i don't i don't think they're gonna all of a sudden switch to a four three three that that's gonna put a lot more emphasis on the wingers to to create and you know you said where would pisaro play i would imagine he'd play on the left in a four three three uh just like they did in the just like he did in the in the first, in the second game against DC United, yeah. Um, I think I think the four two three one is just it's going to be what they what they're going to go with for the long haul. I think they they obviously need to figure out the right back spot. That's been a rotation of they've done it by committee in, in these first five games. But I think the four two three one just gets gives you a gets you the balanced lineup that that Diego Alonso seeks, and I think it gets you your most talented players or as many of your most talented players on the field. Whereas the four through three, I'm not, I'm not sure that that does that. Like Pellegrini, you take Pellegrini off the, out of the lineup to start Uyoa. I, I don't know if that's necessarily something that's going to help you in the attack. So I think the four, two, three, one is going to be the way they go. I think Matuidi will again, help will trap play to his strengths. I think Matuidi and I don't want to compare skill sets because it's not I'm not that's not what I'm looking to do here but I think he will fill a Jermaine Jones type function in term when he joined the New England Revolution he would he he was Jermaine Jones was tasked with just roaming breaking things up and jumping into the attack on occasion and that allowed the New England Revolution to take a huge step forward they made the MLS Cup final that the first year he was he had, he had signed um, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, so I think that's more along the lines of what they're thinking with this move or with this reported move. But we'll see. I mean, we I, I I could be wrong. You could be right, and you know, next week we can come here or two weeks from now, and after they've played a game, and maybe he he shows or starts or plays, we can we can revisit it, and you know, I can give you your props for for calling it uh, correctly or. You know, vice versa, which we're getting used to because vice versa is happening a lot here. <laughs> okay, very quickly before we move on, that was actually the perfect segue for us to get into our next segment. But I will say this. the Now, the obviously, the, the gaping hole, and maybe gaping is a, is a little bit of uh, hyperbolic, but the number nine spot, is. do you think that still gets addressed? 
so someone asked me this on Twitter. Um, I think it's tough. I think it's tough to see it happening. I think just given that what they've tried to do all year long and they've been linked to so many names, they've confirmed some of those names and they've just kind of swung and missed over and over again. And I think given the time of year, we're already, in, we're talking, we're in August already and, and the and the, the negotiating aspect hasn't been easy for them. I think it's tough. I don't won't say it's impossible, but I think it's really tough to see them sign uh, another player as a designated player or as a striker. Obviously, they're looking for a game changer up top or on the wing. Uh, they were talking to they confirmed that they were talking to William in, in recent weeks. They confirmed they were talking to Cavani in recent weeks. They couldn't get either one. Now Cavani's going to Benfica. That's pretty much done and dusted. Yes, yeah, so, so I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be tough for what for what they want. And I think maybe that's what even led them to get uh, Matuidi even more is that you know, all right, if we can't get a third DP attacker, well then let's make the midfielder a DP level player so that you know we can get as much out of that signing as possible at least for this first season until we can regroup in the off season and. and try again in terms of the number nine but again i don't say it's impossible i just think it's it's going to be tough and you know what that means that means that carranza agudelo robinson and maybe even key sweater well they're going to have to figure out how to put the ball in the back of the net we're going to take a quick break and then we are going to talk about the second season reboot in major league soccer All right, I asked at the beginning of the pod whether you, Inter-Miami fans, were licking your wounds or looking forward to the campaign's second reboot. Orlando, here in Miami, August 22nd, that is the next game, game number six. Four days later, it will be Atlanta United once again at home before trips to Nashville and Atlanta before returning to Fort Lauderdale once again to face Nashville in Orlando and as you can tell some repetition there Franco yeah so obviously this first phase of MLS's resumption of the regular season is done regionally with re- with regional matchups in mind Inter Miami will at long last have a home opener doesn't appear that there will be fans in the stadium though that possibility still exists based on the language of the press release that the team sent out but you know whether there's fans or not, Inter Miami will at long last play a game in their stadium. They obviously were two days away from that back in March, and then the you know the the pandemic shutdown changed all that. So they'll they'll get their first game. It'll be against Orlando City. A potential it could be the potential MLS is back champions. They're in the final of the tournament against the Portland Timbers, which will be played on Tuesday night. So we'll see. We'll know if if Orlando City will head into that Sunshine Clasico, the second edition of the Sunshine Clasico, as uh, as the runners-up of the MLS back tournament or as the champions, which will obviously, if it's the latter, will make for an extra added storyline. Uh, Inter-Miami is already preparing for that game. They had a scrimmage, an inter-squad scrimmage, this past Saturday, full uniforms and everything, the, the starting team had the all-white uniforms. 
the well not all white they had the white white top white shorts and they for some reason they had the black socks um and then the away team or the sorry the second team had the away jersey the black jersey with the black shorts and the black and, and pink socks so yeah and aj delagar's Garza, De sighting in that uh in that scrimmage yeah he, t- he he put it on his instagram that he actually played center back during that scrimmage and he said it's the first time he's played center back in four years and he was really happy to to not have to do as much running as he's been doing you know this season with Inter Miami at the center midfield spot and in previous seasons with Houston Dynamo at, at the right fullback spot so Inter Miami's preparing for for Orlando they're already uh fully into their preparations and plans for for that match whereas Orlando City obviously has got their attention elsewhere right now and it'll it'll be It'll be good to see Inter Miami at their at their home stadium at long last, probably without fans, like I said before. But Definitely without fans. I, I wouldn't <laughs> I, look. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past. I wouldn't put it past anything, man. Like, I, there's other teams that have announced that they'll have fans in the stands. So yeah. and Inter Miami, like Dallas, exactly. So Inter Miami. I, I, I again, like like the striker situation. I would say it's unlikely, but or tough, but I wouldn't rule it out completely. I think it's, it's I think it's possible, especially look, and the re- and the reason why these clubs are are doing it, regardless of what they say publicly, is for to recover and recuperate some of the money that they've lost during this whole of pandemic. Course. Well, of I course. mean, Sporting Kansas City's owner or president came out uh, a, a few days ago and said that that wasn't for financial reasons and that that's not, that's not the reasons that they're, that they're reopening their stadium. But I, I mean, I, I wouldn't take that at face value. I think the biggest reason for this, I mean, look in Europe, the, the virus has been dealt with at an improved rate and even there, they're not having fans in, in most stadiums. So I think right. that that's I, mean, I think that's more I think the finance financial part is a big aspect of why the, that's even being considered for MLS teams. Of course, and I and I find the whole thing. I mean, anytime people compare it to to, to Europe, I I, I just want to smack them. Yeah, because it's it's. Do a you want to smack me? I just compared it. Well, no, no, no. But I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about comparing it as as a means I know, I know. Just, to just justify. No, I know as a means to justify putting putting bums on seats like the USL ha- has done. I mean, I find it in- incomprehensible how that is even an option right now. And, and just take the evidence that we've seen, which, you know, NBA bubble working great. It all started with the NWSL. They, I don't think they get enough credit for being the first team to go out there and to do it properly. MLS were the second ones. And I have to look and I'm going to stand. I was, st- I was, uh, wrong about this. I thought it was. I thought it was a mistake. I did say that. However, that even though I thought it was a it, it was a mistake to hold the tournament in the beginning, I did say that in a bubble environment it could work, and perhaps there's no nowhere safer than a bubble environment. And that you know, and that happened. Uh, zero tests, um, zero positive cases since what the first couple of not even the first couple of days, but the week that everybody arrived with FC Dallas uh, having to to be bounced from the tournament and uh, what was the other team? Why am I forget the Whitecaps? Nashville. Nashville. No, Nashville, not the Whitecaps. <laughs> Whitecaps were bounced by bad play. Uh, <laughs> Nashville uh, <laughs> as well. I checked in with one of one of their players to see if everything was okay and everything was. Everything was was fine, um, you know. But and but we've seen what is happening with Major League Baseball, 
right? Does MLS want to make the same mistake? And there's no, there are no fans. Hey, the numbers the are state. going down. At least in Florida, the numbers are going down. Yes. So. Right. That's right. It went from 10,000 a couple of weeks ago to, to 4,500. Those numbers are still higher than anywhere in Europe by, by, I, I think Europe in, in the, in the hundreds or, or thousands uh, like 1,000 to 2,000 in the entire continent. And here we're talking about one state in this situation. And we're also seeing that in a lot of places in the United States, people refuse to wear masks, right? So I'm not, I'm not even going to go into detail about that. Just wear a damn mask, okay? Look, I understand the desire to play the game. I get it. Um, but considering putting putting fans in the stands is ridiculous to me. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I would even say that it is negligence on the part of, uh, of, of the ownership. Now, if, if it is in a city where there are no cases or very few cases, okay, fine. But that simply is not the case in most places in the United States, in most of the markets, MLS markets. So uh, look, it's, it could work out for the best, and I hope it does because we want to see MLS. We want to see fans in the stands, but I think that MLS right now is playing with fire. I don't. I don't know if I agree with all of that, but I mean, there's definitely an argument to be made for for what you said. Again, I think the financial aspect is a big part of no of, doubt of this. Obviously, MLS isn't like other leagues where they get huge amounts of of cash from their TV rights deal, so they're a little more reliant or a lot more reliant on the game day experience and fans being in attendance and buying merchandise, buying tickets, buying food, drinks. So, I mean, we've seen it at USL. It's it's happened in USL games where there's some fans in some stadiums. I think it's gone I think it's gone forward pretty decently. I don't recall or remember many negative reports about that those experiences so far. Could be wrong. Well, has anybody even looked into it? That's what I'm saying. I, I could be wrong. Um, right. So, but I'll say this. I'll, I'll say this. If, if somebody's looked at those people who've been in those stadiums, okay, and they come back and they say, hardly nobody, basically nobody, got corona, right? Then I will come back on this podcast and say, you know what, guys, I was completely wrong. Get everybody in the stands. I, well, I won't say that part, but I will say that I was wrong. And if it's done carefully, implemented carefully, then. So be it and, and, and do it. But I'd like, I want to see the data. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted. And I didn't have much else to, to add to that. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. They're going to go forward with this plan. Some teams are doing it. Some teams were already going to do it from phase one. Some teams might have to wait a little bit, but the wheels are in motion for teams to start bringing fans back. It might be too early for some people. It might not. But, it, I mean, that's, that's the reality of the situation right now. And on that note, let's go to the segment where we answer your questions. All right, guys, it's question and answer time, our weekly Q&A session. I'm going to read the questions. We have a few for this week's pod, and Eric and I will take turns, as always, answering them. The first one comes from Carlos J. Flores at Midway152 with the potential signing of Blaise Matuidi. How do you see the signing? True target or grasping for a name? What do we do about goal scoring? If Matuidi is a DP, who could we be looking to sign as a TAM and what position on the field? So I'll take this one because there's a lot there. Eric, I think we touched on most of that. I think 
I'll touch, I'll highlight the part where he asks true target or grasping for a name. I think given that they've had struggles signing a big name impact player in the attack, I think that raised their desire to sign maybe a bigger name in, in the midfield spot, maybe a more veteran player, as opposed to going with like an Agustin Almendra, which they had been in, in talks with before. And I think they're going to still try to sign either a winger or a striker. I just, again, like I said earlier, I don't. I think it's going to be a tough, tough challenge for Paul McDonough to get done at this point in the year. But who knows? You know, the Beckham appeal maybe, maybe can help him in that regard. Um, the next question comes from J.R. Reed 11 at J.R.R.C. 171. Is it possible to pay down Pellegrini's contract to free up another DP spot? Any word on Almendra coming on loan? What formation do you expect in Miami to play with Matuidi? Okay, so Eric, you touched on the center midfield spot, but I'll let you uh, answer the, the first part because it's, it's, it is known that obviously Pellegrini's contract can be bought down and he can be seen as a 10 player, which would open up a DP spot. Um well, I guess I just answered it for you. So, <laughs> yeah, Well, that's what TAM is there for, right? TAM is one of those mechanisms in MLS that allows you to basically buy part of that uh, DP contract so that it opens up a slot. And that slot, if my understanding is correct, has to be used on a DP player, right? Uh, so you can, only, you can only buy into that contract if you are bringing in a DP player. And that is good news. That is good news because it would mean that perhaps – um, Inter Miami have a, an opportunity here to go after a goal scorer, but as you have noted many times on this podcast, that is a big roster, Franco. Yeah, I mean they'd have to make a move for somebody to to come off of it, whether it's via loan, um, whether it's via trade, whether it's you wave somebody. Somebody would have to come off of the squad. I think they're at they're at twenty nine without Matuidi. I think they'll be at thirty with Matuidi once that gets done, if that gets done. So that'll be the. The interesting uh, part of uh, another interesting part of it. So that I do think. Look, I th- honestly, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I don't I don't think I got to say it earlier. With the losses piling up, obviously the pandemic shutdown happening and affecting their bottom line. I think that has raised their interest or their desire into in signing a bigger name player. Because prior to this to this summer, with Cavani and William being linked, and now Matuidi being linked. It was all talk about, well, you know, we'll sign a big name if if it all fits, if the boxes are all checked off. But, you know, if we go, we might go the Atlanta route and just go with a younger player. That was more their thinking. And then the pandemic shutdown happened. And I guess maybe because the bottom line took such a hit and the losses piled up and interest started to fade. They were like, look, if we don't invest in some bigger name players, we might really... Uh, crap the bed here so we yep. we need to we need to invest a little more here to, to for the long-term success of this club um so we'll go to the last one here it's not it's not so much a question as it is a comment it's from uh our, our show regular another show regular andres he's changed his twitter handle it's at coloblanco97 i'm probably too late but my is a solid swiss army knife in midfield but a striker would be appreciated but this might help our current strikers with chances we'll see eric anything you want to add to that no, I, I look. I I think uh, calling him a Swiss Army knife is 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 pretty accurate. He can do he can do a lot of things. Look, there's no doubt, and I, I want this to be something that the people who listen to this podcast, all three of them, uh, <laughs> should. I want them to remember this. Is is I think that Matuidi coming to Inter Miami is is great news uh, for the club. Uh, I I just think that 
it's not going to be all roses. I think we're going to have to, they're going to have to figure out, uh, and then we're going to have to figure out if it works, but they're going to have to figure out, you know, what system is going to suit this guy best? How is he going to influence this team and make it improve? And I think that if you bring a guy with all of his experience, with his skill set, then you need to play him in the position where he's going to give you his best, where you are going to highlight his best attributes. And that, for me, means that Alonso is going to have to uh, switch his system. And I really hope it works because I think that after this really tough start for Inter-Miami, I think Inter-Miami supporters deserve, um, you know, something good to come out of this. They deserve some wins. They deserve some some happiness, especially after having to put up with this pandemic that ruined everything for everyone. Yeah, I'll just add that I and I guess we can put the ball on it with this because this is kind of how we started the show. In my analysis of the games up to this point. I've talked a lot about the center midfield spots because, yes, Inter-Miami needs a striker and they need someone to score goals and to be more clinical, lethal, proven player that's capable of putting the ball in the back of the net in bunches. But in these five games, it's not like these strikers have had a plethora of chances and they've just botched them. The ball is not getting to them. And the reason for that, part of the reason for that is the play of the central midfielders. That's why I said on the last pod... I thought central midfielder had become as important of a need to be addressed as the striker spot because you could I mean you could put someone else up there you could put a, a DP striker and you know what he might make a half chance into a goal here and there but if the ball's not getting to him he's only gonna do so much with limited touches so this this my Twitter news will if it's again if it gets finalized it will address a massive need for Inter Miami in my opinion they still have, obviously, another one to fill. And with that, and Franco's perfect use of the word plethora, uh, we've come to the end of this pod, and I want to remind everybody that you can follow the pod on all of the social media platforms that are out there except for TikTok, although I have a feeling that Franco has one nope. where he showcases his best dance moves. Nope. No, oh my I was goodness. I was tempted after I saw Andy Polo put out his goal celebration where he did a little dance for his daughter, which was hilarious and made made the rounds uh, in the United States and Peru. But no, I refuse to have TikTok. It has nothing to do with uh, any of the reasons that you've seen in the news. I just, I'm, I'm just getting old, man. Like as much as I, I hate to admit it, uh, I am getting older, and uh, you know the, the 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 social media gauge, you know, like is you can kind of tell us when you're getting older because you're like, yeah, I don't want to. I don't. That's that's for the kids. I don't want to be on that. I don't. That's not yeah. for me. So um, yeah, we're becoming we're becoming our parents. And the last note is that please review the pod. Uh, the more you review. Uh, the more people will notice the pod. And I think that everybody who is a soccer fan in Miami needs to listen to that. And with that, we bid you adieu. Until next time, big soccer heads.